Hi, I'm Dave Raquel, Director of Sales at Paradigm. Welcome to The Big Picture. Ball is reverting. So the obvious trade is always the expensive one to This carry. whole peak inflation, peak rates narrative, peak Fed, which we've been talking about. It's an expensive place to find out. Crypto ball, uh, a potentially fatal place to yeah, find the, out. The crypto option markets are definitely showing some signs of life. Guys, welcome to the big picture. My name is Joe Cruy. I'm at Paradigm in the weeds around everything crypto vol markets. I'm joined here again today by my colleagues David Brickell and Sohan Sen, as well as Kyle Doan, who trades a wide variety of crypto strategies over at Arca Capital Management. Before we begin, if you could subscribe, hit that like button. Really helps us as we continue to promote our channel channel. Kyle, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me, brother. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, really, really happy to, really happy we're getting you on. It was, uh, we kind of felt it was a bit long overdue, but if we can just begin, if you could begin by just giving us like a brief rundown of, of your background for our, for our viewers, like how you got into crypto and then ultimately where you're at at Arca now. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's great to um, connect, especially after whatever, talking real time and trading and flows and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm a trader at Arca currently. Um, Arca is a digital asset investment manager. We run a handful of uh, different strategies, different active management strategies. Um, I concentrate on the flagship fund, which is like a liquid, long biased, directional type vehicle, um, mixture of like fundamental event type special situation strategies. Um, and prior to Arca, I spent about seven years at Merrill Lynch um and when i first began i i guess i started off started off as like um an execution trader essentially um for a team running a like individual stock like large cap value portfolio um for a group of private wealth clients and kind of as i grew into that role and kind of like larger like pockets of money i was doing more um more like asset allocation type work as well, um, specifically in like the alternative space. Um, so I was lucky enough to connect with a bunch of other like uh, smart active manager uh, trading and investment teams. And kind of through those conversations is where I really got introduced to crypto. Um, and like some like EM rates guys and distress credit are like, they're just all that, that's all I wanted to talk about. Um, and it was actually through those relationships that are a one of those relationships that I was introduced to Arca, one of like a um, a mutual friend from business school who just happened to have just joined a small crypto hedge fund and they just happened to be hiring. And um, a few conversations led to me starting at Arca. And that was, uh, that was like Q2 of 21. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot has happened since. Yeah, yeah, a lot has happened. <laughs> yeah, at least, well, at least you got some of the bull market. I mean, I joined, I joined Paradigm. What, like first quarter of 2022, as shit was hitting the fan, it's just like, damn, I just completely top picked this industry. But uh, right, basically, it's all Joe's fault. Yeah, it's all Joe's fault. We blame Joe. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Or, or... Go ahead. Go on, go on, Kyle. Sorry. I was just going to say, would you have rather gotten like a little piece of it to then shit to hit the fan or just go right into the shit? And that, I, I, feel, I think when I started, I was like, I think Bitcoin was that like, like, it was just like, damn, I got to learn how to, I got to learn how these markets work like very quickly. Cause it, I, was, I mean, last year was just so, so busy. 
And I kind of, you know, I'd rather kind of just get thrown right into it, especially, absolutely. you know, I didn't have this uh, sort of like, oh, remember the good old days sort of feeling, you know, now I'm kind of just at the <laughs> bottom and like, we're at 30K and I'm like, let's go, or 27K. I'm like, let's go, come on, keep it, keep it running. So, uh, so in terms of what you're trading o- over at Arca, uh, we know you, obviously you guys do, are, are active in the options side. You got you also quite active, uh, you know, in the alt space. You could do doing stuff in DeFi. Yeah, absolutely, all of it, pretty much. I mean, when I first was kind of like getting my sea legs under me in in crypto land, I was doing a good amount of DeFi stuff. It was kind of like right when like layer ones were becoming a thing, and and there was this like. Um, reach for yield from TradFi. Not that there, like TradFi was really involved in like yield farming strategies at that time or anything, but but that's like I remember like one of and then like right when I started, I mean the like Bitcoin basis was at like forty percent, and that that was just like wild to me. Um, so and then it's have these like crazy like incentive like bootstrapping mechanisms to get users to different ecosystems. Um, that was interesting for sure. Uh, like getting into those like yield generation strategies and just kind of like navigating the space. I mean, it kind of works sometimes, but doesn't really work a lot of the time. Um, like just like wallets connecting to dApps and just like congestion on blockchains and all of that stuff. And it's like talk about like getting thrown into it. I mean, it's like to take to get like educated and comfortable and knowledgeable in the space it is really like a learn by doing type of thing um so i guess we're definitely like opportunistic on that front that um we are doing a bunch of DeFi now um kind of as that market has changed a lot um liquidity has dried up specifically um i mean across the board but i mean even just more so recently you're seeing like big time market makers and um and liquidity from the DeFi specifically. Um, so yeah, we do a lot of spot um, altcoins, majors, kind of all of it. I mean, it's like there's a lot of type of like event type special situation um, stuff that's always kind of coming and going in crypto. It's just obviously fun and makes it uh, interesting. Uh, always new things to navigate, whether for, for better or for worse. Um, right. And that's like executing like maybe we're like did executing um like spot transactions at DeFi or on decentralized derivative platforms or or we're going up tc or we're on exchanges or we're like if we happen to think vol is at an extreme level then we're um we'll get our feet wet in the uh options arena as well yeah i mean i think that's i think that last point is a is a pretty good good segue can you guys see my screen that hopefully yeah. i've been sharing yeah. the entire time uh yeah, so a prevalent theme certainly in the crypto vol space over the past you know, month or so you know, has been the compression of vols kind of across the board and especially Ethereum, you know, on an absolute basis. And also relative to BTC, I mean, you, you can see in this chart on the left where the, e, the ETH BTC yeah, at the money vol ratio is basically at the lows across the curve. You know, this implied spread is now flat. I mean, I think ETH is kind of trading at maybe a one one to two vol premium as as of today and even negative in, in other points of the curve. And that's it's interesting because when you look at how ETH is realizing versus BTC, you know, ETH is realizing, but, you know, six to seven vols over 
in in most most of these time frames. So you have an implied spread that's flat. You have a recent realized spread that is like fairly strongly positive. And we we've had a lot of conversations with our customers that are just like, damn, like ETH falls are just like so low here. And sure, can they go lower? Yes, of course they can. If we just continue to chop here, of course they can go lower. Um, but in terms of like optic and risk reward of like kind of scooping some of this stuff, we've had numerous conversations where it's just like, look, why don't I just buy some ETH, some ETH vol here, right? In, in outright formats. Uh, and, you know, that's exactly what we've been seeing. And not necessarily to spread it versus BTC or anything, but like if you kind of just look here at our top trades, um, sec. <clears throat> So these are the top trades on Paradigm over the past week or so. And it's a, and it's a kind of exactly what you would expect in, in an environment like this, right? You know, July 2300 calls, you know, June 1900 puts, right? It's all like, it's all outright formats that, that, are, that are sort of trading. So I, I guess, Kyle, like, what's your kind of like view on this, you know, market apathy, you know, recent fall crush that we've had? Like, what are the interesting opportunities? And I mean, and feel free to just talk about like, you know, the option space in general and how you, how you look at the world. Absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot to hit on there. Um, I'd say that, like, I mean, as far as like the recent ball crush goes, I mean, there's probably like a variety of factors going on and there's all sorts of, I guess, different ways to think about like spot vol correlations and all of that good stuff. Um, but and and also, I mean, you've seen, which I've like, I'm pretty sure I've heard you guys talk about this on other podcasts and, and uh, writings and commentary and stuff. It was just like the insane overwriting um, that's going on in the market as well, too. I was just talking to uh, Gordon from Genesis last week as I was actually um, a taker on some short dated ETH fall at like, I think it was like a two week calls that are trading at like, uh, it was like, whatever. 25 delta two week calls trading at like 52 53 falls which is crazy um and so it's like and he was telling me well just big overwriter and like the december tenor and um and like sprinkle in some poor execution and a lack of like uh opposing flow or two-way like healthy two-way flow and i mean and, and december falls are down 50 percent plus um so there's definitely obviously that the overwriting activity and it's like the vol selling strategy, I guess has historically been a decent, uh, has been profitable, obviously like, um, susceptible to like large drawdowns, especially in crypto, obviously. Um, and then I guess on like, as people, as like the market reaches for a ball in like, uh, reflexes reflexive type environment that that crypto is or whatever the feeds on the serial autocorrelation that has like and and then also in the like uh like coin denominated derivatives market like derivative you have whatever your, your coins going up you have more ability to spend money on premium and and punt on these whatever um option strategy so i think that that's definitely like a contributor to like the spot fall correlation um i definitely think that like i mean generally like e fall is is criminally low um 
and kind of to your point is like any sort of like eat outright ball expression uh makes makes a ton of sense and i think um i had been um obviously we've been active in a couple like shorter term strategies but also starting to build in like leg into like a longer term bullish call structure uh, to the end of the year and eat as well um and it's like as like a long bias fund um it pairs well with a long book as well too so i think that um yeah i think there's a lot of value um there and i guess about like uh, then i guess turning to like options specifically um as it relates to crypto um it's, it's pretty amazing obviously that um it's obviously become a great tool as an expression of risk in in crypto like it should be um and obviously it's from from a low base but i mean i feel like like crypto native traders are are more so like have been trained to trade on margin uh just because it's simple and it's just like super liquid perp leverage on ftx um rip but like that people just got trained to just trade on margin i think and then like didn't really bother to learn too much about options if they didn't have that type of background from traditional finance or whatever um but you're obviously starting to see that play out more as different types of participants enter the market and more sophisticated individuals or uh, i guess there's just like a, a a really wide variety of traders actually um contributing to like the increased liquidity you got guys like gordon and and the guys over at uh cumberland and qcp and galaxy that are um providing that are making markets um and uh i guess to that point i mean i mean that and then also like its effect on the market as well like being aware of like dealer dollar gamma exposure is is like is important now um, right. and and it has like effects on the market too so you need to um for a strategy like ours it, it it definitely makes sense to be in tune with with that sort of stuff as well so and i think that that just only has more room to grow and obviously like with a trading platform like like paradigm um makes it even that much better yeah yeah thanks thanks for the kind words and I, I guess something that was really strange to me when I came into this business, I, I understand like this this whole talk of around like dealer gamma exposure and how this stuff like actually matters, right? In S and P options or equity options, because it's such a a flourishing um, a, such a flourishing product in you know equities and, and FX, you would be like, okay, it makes sense for these things to matter, but in crypto when the crypto derivative market, especially the option side, is still so small, it kind of was just really, really shocking to me that like these dealer gamma exposures actually matter. Like I kind of had this impression that like, oh, this market's just so small. Like, sure, maybe these things, you know, on a set from like a secondary effect, like, you know, could be at some points meaningful. But like I feel like and, and maybe there's just kind of like this extrapolation as well that just kind of goes on in this in this industry where people sure. to like point to things and and that's that could be part of it but like the fact that like these gamma exposures and 
and the flows like actually really matter and and actually have an ability to determine to determine spot action is is quite interesting i mean as as you alluded to just just some of these like eth overriding flow right as you know realized vols continued to come in spots sort of just chopping in this range and we've just had this continuous healthy supply of eth vol and you alluded to this this eth overrider and and for for our viewers that maybe didn't tune into the the episode where we really dove deep into this there's there's effectively a large player that is, that is not active on paradigm they're actually active right on the deribit screens and each month they're selling between 25 to 50,000 ethereum contracts per month in upside calls and they, they were actually quite active last week in the in the september bucket and there was also some fairly fairly strong selling going is going on as well into december at the money buckets and it's it's one of these weird things where like makers are kind of just like stuffed with this supply and there's kind of like little meaningful ability to really be able to recycle it and of course i mean as you see from the flows on on, on the screen like we're, we're seeing some guys like kind of taking advantage of this this low environment, low vol environment, and kind of helping dealers recycle some of this risk, but it kind of just speaks to in the in crypto vol, you just have these wallets that are just so big and just are able to kind of like impose their will on market makers. Be like, oh, okay, I'm, you know, I'm able to sell fifty thousand, you know, Ethereum contracts every month, and the market is not really able to to absorb that. So vols are just going to go lower, and we're going to chop here. <laughs> this is kind of kind of what happens and it's it's super interesting i was i was on a um it was actually about an hour ago i was on a um twitter space by i think coin fund is, is the name of it coin fund and one of the questions that was asked was what well what is one of the most important developments that you're most excited about in the crypto vault space and one of the dealers that you you just mentioned actually answered this question and what he said is like we need structured products in the market similar to what you see in the equity derivative space where you have a constant persistent demand for vol by you know insurance funds that are looking to hedge annuity exposure sure like we're i i think we all agree that you know insure life insurance and, and insurance users are not coming into crypto anytime soon but you need some sort of demand to be able to offset this constant supply that tends to come in and then be able to impose this will on the market. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that, Jay. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, so much of client conversations right now are dominated around, you know, why vol so low. And, and it's one of those, it's like to, to try and go long and, and sort of buy the vol, unless you're taking like a longer term directional view where, where these vols look super like attractive to, to put on a directional play. Um, you know, if you're not doing that, then you're just sat there as bleeding theta. Um, meanwhile, no one really wants to go short because, you know, we, we've got, we've still got the banking sector looking pretty stressed. Uh, we've got loads of macro risks. Obviously you've got the, uh, the debt ceiling and, all these things to resolve so you kind of don't want to be short either and we stuck here but I, I i kind of say to people like in the absence of anything else in, in the absence of any conviction and i kind of think the market generally actually if you look across a lot of markets we've kind of been in a range for for a, a good month or so now um and we've kind of not got from a macro side of things the clarity to to really embrace like the pause because 
you know, we, we think, okay, even though the rates curves, pricing in cuts, you know, we keep getting like some strong labor market data or, or the, the inflation is not coming down quickly enough. And there's, and we can't really embrace that kind of theme from a narrative perspective of, right, we're now pricing the pause and the cuts. And in which case I think crypto and things will fly. Um, so in the absence of having that conviction or narrative to actually trade on, then this, this bowl selling, it's just, I call it like mechanical flow. It's just systematic. It, it doesn't really care what's going on. It's just going to keep hitting and hitting. So you, you need you need a reason to be like getting aggressive to take the other side of it. And if you haven't got a reason, then then yeah, we get we just kind of keep keep drifting lower. Yeah, it's right. pretty funny. I was I was reading our prospect. So we have like a prospecting Telegram chat where we basically you know put in kind of updates of new customers that are going to be coming in and active in the option space. And I was like. Right before we got on the podcast, I was reading it. Reading it, it was just like, "Oh, here we go! Another big, like, systematic seller coming into this market that is just going to like stop the market in this tracks because it's just going to deliver all this gamut to dealers, and we're just not going <laughs> to." It was not. I mean, go go on, Sohan. I'm on I think I think you and David said it right. I mean, the moment we break out of this range, though, I mean, these are people who are you know selling in fairly you know fairly large size. I mean, are they aware of the drawdown that they're going to face when it goes through? I mean, you can say they're covered core sellers or, you know, like whatever, but it's, it's, it is going to be significant if it breaks out of the range, right? I mean, at that point, I can see vol repricing very significantly higher, right? So it's a, I think it's, it's completely a function of the fact that we have been in, in this kind of range bound, you know, mindset. Um, and uh, also, I, I do think like people haven't looked at options uh, in a, in a while, right? Like, um, I don't see like many like uh, you know long only like type funds who are you know like oh this is so attractive now that I kind of want to you know swap some of my long position into like a derivative position just because you know just because it's so attractive that I I am actually willing to you know take take that risk, right? Um, I'm I'm still not not seeing that. Uh, as of yet, yeah, I beg to differ. <laughs> Here and there, um, we get lucky sometimes. Um, and I feel like, to your point, David, I think that like that's uh, like what crypto and equity markets probably have in common right now. I mean, it's like even with the most recent CPI print, um, like balls getting smashed in equity land as well. It's fixed below seventeen. I guess it's not anymore today. Um, and like speaking to kind of like the apathy, lack of direction, lack of conviction to uh, like put on any meaningful directional type bets. And as we kind of range around and we have these kind of pretty strong opposing forces from a narrative perspective in, in, in both markets. And I think that that's actually like um, brought about some like similarities, I, I guess, to some extent uh, between equities and crypto right now. Carl, how are you? Um, how how do you think from a directional point of view? How what's your framework for thinking about um, crypto in in terms of combining a, a sort of macro story to a more idiosyncratic story uh, around um, you know the the sort of coins that you're looking at? Sure, yeah, great question. Um, I think that it's I mean it's it's definitely like a culmination of factors. Um, I mean, crypto is so dependent on sentiment and flows and liquidity that, I mean, that that has to be 
like the whatever some of the largest inputs into your decision making from a crypto perspective so i mean it's a and i mean you can't cover everything obviously so you cover like some sort of universe that you've broken down over time and you have a feel for like those individual coins to some extent or at the sector level or whatever whatever uh that may be and then it's like it's it's also very important to like try and have a feel for like the existing investor base for a specific token and like the token economics um uh, right from like a supply demand perspective um like like maybe it's a very super low flow token that has a ton of supply coming online um but but you may whatever see some bullish type fundamental setup and and like the overall crypto narrative is good but i mean the, but you have this like wall of supply um that you that you 100 need to be aware of and or like whatever type of private deal has gone down to that that may have some sort of structural flows within the market so i think that it's like having a feel for the existing investor base for a specific token is huge if you can if you can have that feel um and then kind of like incrementally like stepping back from there getting like i guess slightly more macro um if you have like another whatever call it like bullish sense or feel or flows or fundamental view from like the sector level and and or a crypto specific uh strong narrative it's at those points where you um can develop conviction and actually confidently put on a directional bet uh, that's kind of how I think about it generally. Um, and obviously it's, and then from there it's, I mean, it's one thing to be right directionally, have a feel for the market, but then it's a whole nother thing to actually make money off of it and actually generate P and L, um, which is kind of seems dumb to other people that don't trade actively probably. Um, but it's very much a thing. And then it's like, and very much a, a challenge um and then it's like how you express that risk like like we say in whatever that's like future spot DeFi options all of that sort of stuff um and so i think that that there's a whole nother set of parameters thought process and how you express that view uh via risk as well it's like do you have a specific time duration magnitude of the move to where it's like okay i think ETH is going to catch up over this next two week period because there's been net staking inflows ETH burn rate has only has, has increased and like ETH btc cross is at some sort of uh some sort of su support level and like the overall crypto narrative is great it's like okay vol super cheap like that is a culmination of factors to me i'm gonna go buy some eth uh eth weekly calls um and and it's like from a ball perspective as well it's a good risk adjusted trade that, that it's like you kind of get these like incremental um feelings of confidence and conviction with these other with these um uh different pieces of data that makes sense yeah 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 no it makes sense it makes sense and uh and w w what do you uh what's your kind of direction you view on things at the moment um and what and what are you liking yeah, I, I, it is, I mean, I guess that this is going to segue into a Pepe conversation as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm actually like, I'm honestly like kind of surprised that Pepe didn't 
come out earlier. I mean, it's like all of like the memes that I see and use and like Telegram stickers and shit. It's all like frog memes, and and they're they're hilarious too. It's great. Um, I'm actually surprised that like Pepe didn't catch on earlier. Uh, so I could totally see it. it totally works. Um, and it's pretty amazing to see the um, like over two billion, almost three billion in, in volumes of this token, like. That's like a top twenty-five traded stock um, on a, on a particular day. That like that is wild. Um, but then it's but then you have so then you have like Pepe on this like far end of the spectrum, and then you have like I guess like majors being relatively resilient, in my opinion, um, with some whatever some uh, decidedly bullish tailwinds with via the, the banking crisis, um, and then everything in between hasn't really got much love at all like any sort of like real projects or people the stuff that people actually use when they're interacting in DeFi or or any sort of like infrastructure type tooling uh type projects as well um which is interesting and also speaks to like the uh existing participant in the market as well and and also like with the I guess from a bullish perspective, the whole the the Pepe trading. I mean, it's like a an incremental like increased appetite for risk at, is generally bullish to me. Um, a good like increase in on chain activity and like a material um, um, ETH burn coming like from on chain trading um, as well. And, and I mean, there was like wealth created, like whether that wealth like bounces around in these like longer tail assets or not, or make their way back into majors or call it, call it real, uh, projects or tokens. Um, I think that that's still like to be determined. Um, and it also like, and I guess on the other side of things that, that has, I guess it's highlighted our like issues with scaling, uh, from on-chain perspective as like, it's gotten super expensive to transact on ETH and it's like. I was actually just looking at a tweet uh, earlier this morning. It's like, sirs, can you please stop using ETH for like an hour? I have some transactions I need to push through. Um, so, and then like, but then also, and it's like some scaling technology seems to um, be making some progress as well, like specifically in like the L2 space and all of that good stuff. But like, what are we scaling right now too? It's like, we are, it's kind of just like, a decentralized casino at the moment um is really like our only use case for um which obviously i mean isn't great um isn't i mean it's not terrible but i mean like because the casino is lively um so i think that that speaks to the existing participant um and i think that as far as like maybe on a longer term time frame um also like long term in crypto is like it can be defined a zillion different ways. Um, and I think that like, even from like a data perspective or like, I, I don't know, I'm curious to, to hear all your guys thoughts on all of this stuff as well. Um, like even like looking at historical data or forecasting, like I tend to, I don't really look at much stuff greater than 90 days. Um, and it's like anything like, like market regimes change so, so quickly. Um, I mean, and just things in general change so quickly and so often. Um, in crypto but i think like to the 
obviously the re- the banking crisis has like decided it's like decidedly bullish for crypto um to the extent that that's priced in right now i'm not sure you see like like the incremental worsening from here having a lesser effect um so unless we see i mean and this is very much still ongoing um at, at least in my opinion um and i mean unless we see like I don't know, like a ton of banks go down all at once or whatever. But it's just even like after Jerry's speech and then PacWest decided to go down, down whatever, 50% after hours, like four or five hours after Jerome's speech. Uh, pretty wild. Um, like well, there wasn't a really big reaction to Bitcoin. Um, yeah. there, and which, uh, I mean, it makes sense. Um that I mean it's like and I still think it is decidedly bullish but makes you think that some at least some if not the majority of, of that is priced in obviously with the existing information that we have right now um so I think that along like along to like that timeline as well like participants probably have like become more educated in bitcoin like like what is this stuff like what is store of value like how does a fractional banking reserve system work and like how broken all of this stuff is um i think that like people have gotten more educated throughout that process and maybe like some traders have been converted to longer term holders or some some new investors have come into the space that aren't necessarily traders and you can kind of see that in price action as well you see like um periods of like some theoretical accumulation as well um and so i think that that's brought up the base for bitcoin um i don't see that like as like rocket fuel to the upside necessarily so and then i guess in an all like a slightly longer time frame and more macro-ish um as far as like a feeling for the rest of the year um if we have like I mean, Asia's been very quiet recently, but it talks about the Hong Kong reopening sometime this summer, uh, which could definitely be bullish, but not something that I feel like that I will have an edge on by any means. It'll be, it's always been like pretty black boxy and like the banking friction over there, I think has been like disproportionately felt relative to the West as well. So there's still like a lot of like on off ramp friction over there too. So uh, potentially bullish um if it happens definitely really bullish um and then i mean you obviously have like the i mean obviously the banking and then whether that turns out to be like to the extent the money printer gets going um how what that effect will be and then you obviously have all the regular regulatory stuff going on i mean it's like i think the a potential favorable outcome in the Ripple case, which we probably, which maybe you'll see something by the end of the year. I don't know. Far from a securities lawyer. Um, but that could, a, a favorable outcome there would definitely be bullish specifically for like some altcoins and um, some tokens that are, or the ones that are the- theoretically giving up the most revenue that are, that isn't directed to the token, like from a regulatory perspective. Um kind of like hindering the ability for token economics to like be real really and it's like if you think about and then you think about that like leading to new money coming into the space i mean you think about like a like large prominent active 
manager, like trying to run like a long bias fund and like you're pitching a, um, what should I call? Did you guys just pause there for a second? I think we're good. Uh, we lost you. Yeah. You back? Am I good? Am I back? Yeah. We can, we can hear you now though. Go on. Okay, cool. Um, uh, thinking about like new investors into the space is what crypto really needs. Obviously it needs new capital, um, to come into the space. And you think about like an active investor manager, like running a long only strategy or a long bias strategy and you're pitching like a governance token to investment committee, you're like, sir, you're fired. And it's like, well, this is like, this is like the opportunity set. And, um, and this is like what people use and all of that stuff. So, um, I guess that all, I mean, that like ties back into like the rangy low vol environment that we're seeing currently as well. I think it all, that this all kind of ties in as well. You have these kind of pretty strong opposing forces, whether that's like the banking, um, and like monetary debasement and all of that sort of stuff. And then, and then the, the regular regulatory um overhang then i know that that, yeah. that was a lot a lot of brand no no I, I, that was that was awesome that was that was really really good and i definitely agree with a lot of things that you said there and i mean you even see it in in the skew as well i mean if you just look at like 25 right. delta skew you know now that's trading at a put premium of, of course that's gonna gonna happen as, as we trade towards the bottom of the range um but that's the case in btc and eth now which kind of suggests that for the short term, until we kind of have a sort of spark up towards the, this top of the range again, this this bullishness euphoria is kind of out of the market. But that being said, if you look at the longer dated SKUs, if, if, I, if I look at like six month, nine month SKUs, while those have been like persistently calls over puts the entire year, right? And I think that speaks to these sort of long-term sort of narratives kind of at play, whether that is Hong Kong or financial conditions becoming easier with inflation continuing to fall. And I, from that perspective, you know, I think it, things could get interesting. And in, uh, I mean, I know I mentioned this Twitter space that I was just on. And at, at the end, they basically just went to each one of the people that were speaking on that panel. And they're like, what are you, what's your Ethereum forecast for the end of the year? And like everybody was within like Ethereum 2,500 upwards to to 3,000. But until then, the markets just kind of feel, it just feels like apathy at the the moment. Like I don't want to like jinx us and be like, oh, this is what December feels like. But like April was like not great, right? In terms of like an exchange backdrop, like volumes decreased across centralized and decentralized exchanges pretty meaningfully especially obviously coming from a pretty strong base in March. That was one of the, the busiest months ever. But I mean, you look at DeFi TVL, that that got hit pretty bad in April as well. You know, you have themes like big players like Jane Street, right? Announcing they're pulling back their US operations. And of course, you have to imagine these guys are going to kind of shift that focus more offshore. I mean, we kind of see it with Coinbase now happening as well, and they're going to be launching their exchange. And but these shifting this focus too offshore, this thing takes time. And and then this morning, it, like it just makes me think kind of how you were saying, Kyle, is like how much is this this regional bank stuff kind of priced in, right? You know, you you have this news overnight around um the uh the deposits falling at Pacific and you know, BTC is down, right? You know, it's still outperforming, of course. Um, 
you know, the traditional banking system and, and that's all well and good. But like, I was kind of hoping that this was going to be like at least the catalyst towards towards the top of the range. I mean, David, what's what's your thoughts? Like, why? Like, is it is this priced in? Like, why why haven't we seen more? Yeah, I did. Do, do, do you know what? I I think there was, I think there was a lot of disappointment um, with First Republic and the fact that there was a, a kind of private sector solution to it. I think everyone was waiting for the liquidity hose to be switched on um, in some kind of bailout, and then actually, J.P. Morgan took on all the assets, took on all the deposits. And in fact, it's actually been a negative liquidity event in terms of, um, you know, First Republic being being ones that were tapping some of the Fed's um, liquidity tools. So obviously, moving on to JP Morgan, they're able to give those back. So I, I kind of think, um, I, I think actually liquidity's, um, liquidity is, liquidity, again, d- difficult thing to measure, but has kind of declined. Like you've seen the Fed balance sheet shrinking again. So we had that. 400 billion like explosion around March when um when SVB went under um and then it's c- kind of gradually tapering off and being given back um so I I kind of think the market's waiting to see the renewed liquidity response uh, so rather than just looking at stocks the the actual bank shares trading lower but but I I think I mean look JP Morgan can't buy everyone um well maybe maybe they can I don't know I mean, maybe maybe they can do it I mean yeah. But but like when government gonna help them out, right? But like like the the one thing I mean uh, the biggest amount of bullshit I've heard is the likes of Jamie Dimon that saying yeah this crisis is over or you know we're at the end of it. it like the reasons why we've got the reasons why we've got the crisis is because you know, Fed rates are too, too high for the banking system to handle when you've got inverted yield curves. So you're going to continue to see that deposit walk. I think unadjusted like deposits was something like um the withdrawal was something like 360 billion in in the three weeks into may um and then and pat quest is selling off today because uh, I, I didn't see the numbers but it looked like they had a pretty large deposit outflow last week nine percent so, uh there you go right so so this this isn't going away why fed rates are up here and it's going to continue and uh, yeah and, and so so the, the problem's gonna gonna get worse there's gonna be more banks that go and ultimately, you know, it's going to need a liquidity response from the Fed. And I just think everyone's kind of waiting for that. I do think the, the other thing that's in my mind that I, I'm trying to weigh up is is this debt ceiling um, issue. And, and and actually, ironically, my, my concerns are not what others are in terms of I've got no concerns around um, default and stuff like that. Um, they're going to they're gonna lift the, the debt ceiling. Um, you know, they, I, I always say any... In any negotiation, your point of power is is time, and so they're going to run that right to the eleventh hour, and then it gets lifted. And then the worry for me actually is once it gets lifted, you know, the treasury are coming in, issuing a shit ton of bonds, um, and draining more liquidity out of the system. Um, and how does that impact everything? Um, so all things equal, then that's going to be quite a negative event, I think, for crypto and and probably risk assets. Um, so I kind of think that's hanging in the background as well. But but ultimately, like I mean, who, who knows? You know, bankruptcies happen on weekends, right? Um, if if we get another another bank go under this this weekend, and and then all of a sudden there is a bigger liquidity response from the Fed or what have you, then then I do think Bitcoin will will kind of get some legs and and sort of break higher. I think so too. And like maybe that. Go ahead, Sean. Go ahead. Actually, just to me. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> right right please so yeah, all the only uh, right. or anything yeah 
Falling yeah. Falling uh, Boom. <laughs> and it's and like to your point too, David. I mean, it's like and like the regional bank index is down and Bitcoin's down too as well. So I mean, it's like maybe some of the maybe we'll see like a catch up to that. There is that there was that like extreme like reaction to like SVB, and then it was like then like as time went on, it was like empirically bullish for Bitcoin as like banks down, Bitcoin up, um, and then. Maybe we're seeing this kind of not even laggy, like lack of effect. Maybe that's kind of building up, and the um, and 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 maybe we'll see some some fireworks and we'll really explode. Um, but yeah, who knows? Yeah, and I do I do feel it's it's strange to me at the moment. I mean, I I I I, uh, I feel like pretty pretty comfortable in, in where we're at. I just think we we've had a really big move to start the year. Um, we now just we just trade in a range. We we still pretty much near the top of the range, and we just kind of chop in, you know, chop in what call it twenty seven k, thirty k range, uh, waiting for that next catalyst to kick on. It still feels to me like the catalysts are are going to propel us to the top side. But yeah, I, like people I speak to, they're just they're just like this. I don't know if it's you know just quiet times, low vol markets, and people start to get nervous. But yeah, I I kind of don't see I don't see what you know, I, I don't think there's huge like long leverage in, in, in the system that gets wiped out and, and takes us back below twenty K or something like that. Um I don't I don't see a re emergence of inflation that the Fed start having to take the terminal rate to seven percent or something silly like that. So we, you know, we we've hit the pause, in my view. Rate cuts will follow when they come. Who knows? So yeah, I, I just think we we're waiting for that trigger and, and the trigger I think when it comes will actually be be to the top side um and, and maybe maybe it makes me nervous to think that i don't see what the catalyst is to 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 drive like a, a deeper leg lower um sure you know it's like you're bullish by way of not being bearish and we're hesitant to be directionally like strongly bullish because of this weird kind of ominous feeling that maybe there's something that we don't know that that's out there that somebody else yeah. knows that's taking yeah. the other side of your trade right yeah yep that's uh that's that's crypto you get the sell-off and then you get the news right yeah and i, I was yeah. out last or is it just like or, or fake news 100 million liquidation <laughs> fake news like okay yeah i i'm actually i'm actually really worried as well we've got bitcoin miami uh is that next week yeah oh, I, I, I yeah you're right i heard that though I swear, I swear, we we absolutely dump, you know, but people burning money and all sorts there, and and it's like, oh shit, Bitcoin's gonna tank after this, isn't it? <laughs> so I think they should ban that. I think yeah, they should stop that. <laughs> we even there was even uh, we were dumping with uh, consensus in, in Austin recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, it's, yeah to these whatever self-fulfilling prophecies is very very much a real thing in crypto yeah well i mean i remember consensus last year oh my god this was like literally right when celsius was going down and i given the public format forum of this i'm not going to state any names but like let's just say people that were very senior in the know at big companies basically going around saying that the whole crypto credit environment was about to completely implode and then we kind then we come back on monday and then like I think Ethereum was down like eleven percent or something like that. So it was just so much blood over there. Yeah, these con these yeah. conferences obviously great long term 
not so great short term. Sure. <laughs> um, well, I think on that note, I mean, we're we're kind of we're at like the almost the fifty minute mark. I think I think that's good. I think we just leave it leave it here. So, uh, Kyle, for uh, for coming on, that was a, that was super super. Yeah, really interesting. Kyle. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. Great, great, great to chat.